question. How do you approach God? How do you come into God's presence? Many of us like to skirt around the edges. We pray a prayer here and a prayer there, hoping that on a good day we might be heard. Maybe as we worship in church, from time to time we catch a real sense of the presence of God and think, oh, that's a bit close, so I'll just take a step or two back. At other times, we're touched with the presence of Christ's love and we want to move closer. But how do we do that? How do we approach the living God? Well, today we're going to look at these two passages in Mark that help us answer this question. There are two different stories that show us two different approaches to the living God. Both of them, if you apply, will change your walk with God. So if you're interested, pay attention. And even if you're happy to hang around the edges, I encourage you to pay attention. So let's dive into Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered the house and did not want anyone to know it. Those who have been tracking through the Gospel of Mark will realise that Jesus has been trying to find some rest. His power is so marvellous, the needs are so great, his compassion is so heartfelt that he wants to teach and cure and cast out demons to all of those sheep that are struggling without a shepherd. But it means he's busy. So busy that sometimes he and his disciples don't even have time to eat let alone rest. And so Jesus now takes his disciples and they leave Israel and they enter the neighbouring territory, a land, a Gentile land. Maybe now he and his disciples can get some well-deserved rest. The end of 24. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about it, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. It's hard to keep it a secret when a miracle worker comes to town, even in the days before social media, Twitter and the like. So Jesus' time out is interrupted. But it's interrupted by a desperate mother begging for her young child, probably primary age, maybe younger, who is tormented by an evil spirit. Cures have been tried, but nothing works, and some of us know the angst of being a parent of a sick child who doesn't respond to treatment. Anyway, this mother hears of Jesus, and even though Jesus is trying to lie low, we must never underestimate a mother bear with a sick cub. And just think what's stacked to get this mother. She's a woman in a male-dominated society. If we remember back earlier in Mark, it was Jairus the father who approached Jesus with a sick daughter, not the mother. And she's also a Gentile seeking help from a Jewish rabbi. Now, in those days, devout Jews would not eat in the house of a Gentile. Well, why? Because well, Jewish people had strict food laws. And the market served a pork sandwich, so they wouldn't eat with Gentiles. They wouldn't even go into the house because all Gentile houses in those days had little shrines with idols in them. So Jewish folk wouldn't go into a Gentile house. And when Jewish folk had travelled around and came back to Israel, they would turn at the border to the Gentile land they had come to and wipe the dust off their feet. 
And so this woman has all these things stacked against her. But it didn't stop her one bit. And we understand this because we understand something of courage, don't we? Over here we have very courageous people. And over here we have cowards. And we're somewhere in between. But when it comes to parents, there's a whole different scale. You can have a parent who is timid and shy, but if their child is desperately ill or desperately unwell or need, that parent will fight heaven and earth for their child. And so we're not surprised that this woman, this mother, came to Jesus, even though she was a woman, even though Jesus was a rabbi and she was a Gentile. We understand that. But goodness me, the words that she gives to Jesus are amazing and unexpected. But before that, we come to Jesus' words himself. Verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Think about that. Is Jesus really calling this woman, this vulnerable woman, this needy woman, a dog? I mean, have you ever come across this passage in your reading? I know Nathan has. Because he just told us. But have you ever come across this week and you thought, well, I'm not quite sure about this, Lord. It sounds like you're being rude. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, well, I thought Jesus was supposed to be meek and mild. I thought, you know, a bruised reed, he would, he would not break. And he would not snuff out a, a smoldering wick. So what's happening here? Well, let's unpack it a bit. Because there's a key. There's a key to understanding these perplexing words. And the key is that this is actually a parable. It's a short one-sentence parallel. And if you've got your Bibles, you can read a couple of paragraphs earlier, and you'll see another one-sentence parable that Jesus gave. We looked at this last week. Last week we saw in Mark 7, Jesus saying this one-sentence parable. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And when you put those two parables together, you can kind of see, well, yes, they are similar. Now, fortunately, last week, the disciples were very dull. And so Mark spends two paragraphs explaining what that parable meant. Unfortunately, this week, we get nothing. (laughs) We're just going to have to dig and and, and do some detective work about what Jesus is saying in, in this parable. And Jesus in this parable is describing a domestic scene. And we can imagine it in Jesus' day, and some of you who have children and adorable too, it happens every day. We can imagine there's a family sitting around it waiting for a meal, and there are some dogs under the table. But when we go back into the original language, the word for dogs is puppies. There are puppies under the table. Straight away, that softens Jesus' words, doesn't it? But anyway, there's some puppies under the table, and mum comes in, and she's got some plates of food, and she serves the dad of the household, and then she takes the, the plates of food for the children and puts them on the ground, and the dogs gobble them up. They hoover up the children's meal. That's not right, is it? And Jesus said, no, this is not right. That's not how it happens. There's an order in the family, and it's children first. And Jesus' point is this. Just as there is order in this domestic scene, So there is in the kingdom of God. Jesus came first to the children, to the Jewish folk. He came to teach them, to cast out demons, to cure them, to show them God as the heavenly father. Soon, but not now, soon it will be the Gentiles' time. In fact, it was very soon, just a matter of a few short weeks and months, because Jesus will be crucified, resurrected, 
and reappear to commission the disciples with these words. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to the disciples, remember this is a month or two after the encounter with this mum, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1, 8. Do you see what happens? That very soon, the puppies under the table will get their meal. Because at Pentecost, the Spirit came and the Gentiles were welcomed into the kingdom as full children. Or, in the case of the parable, the puppies got their meal. And so here, Jesus is firm. Woman, you are part of the family, but you are a puppy. Your time will come, it is just not yet. Now make no mistake, being called a dog is far from a compliment, isn't it? <laughs> you can't, just can't get around it. It's still harsh. And the mother's daughter is still not healed. But the woman gets it. Like she really understands this parable. Last week, a few paragraphs before this, we saw the disciples having no idea what that parable meant. And Jesus said, you are so dull. But not here today. This woman understands completely what Jesus means. And she's persistent. She's thinking, Jesus, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I will not let you go until you bless me. Then in the most wonderful, respectful and insightful way, the woman leverages the parable to change Jesus' mind. She's sharp, this lady. She's really sharp. Verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now notice that she isn't angry because Jesus just called her a dog. Notice that she doesn't sulk because Jesus initially turned her down. Notice how respectfully she stays in the parable and describes exactly what happens with the scraps and the crumbs. The puppies get the bits and pieces that fall to the floor. Now, some of you here may have a toddler in the family and a dog. Now, what happens when you feed the toddler? You know what happens, isn't it? The puppy or the dog is pretty excited because there's going to be bits and pieces that fall on the ground and the puppy's going to have some fun. Or how many of you got children that sneak the old Brussels sprout down to the dog under the table, eh? So isn't that wonderful that the lady, the mother, she stays in the parable. And she says to Jesus, well, that may be, but don't the puppies get a few of the crumbs? And Jesus is stoked. Finally, someone gets a parable and I don't have to explain it to them. <laughs> if only those 12 men behind me would pay attention to this woman who's getting it right first time. Jesus is stuck. Verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. What a delightful end to this dramatic encounter. And, and in the story, I'm reminded of two Old Testament stories that help us understand, help us unpack what's happening there. Both of these stories are from the book of Genesis. One day, Abraham is visited by three angels. Now, some Bible scholars believe that one of those angels was Jesus. That makes it interesting. 
that's the subject of another sermon. These three angels come and they come past and Abraham recognises that special, invites them in for a meal and says, where are you going? And they say, we're on our way to the city of Sodom. And we've heard some wicked things are happening there. And if it's true, we're going to destroy it. We're going to annihilate that city. So what does Abraham do? He says, he negotiates. He appeals to their mercy. Well, if you find 50 good people in the city, surely you won't destroy it. And, they, and the angels say, well, okay, if we find 50 people. And then Abraham says, well, what if you find 40 people? Will you annihilate the city? Oh, will the angels say no? Okay, we won't. And, and Abraham negotiates. He will not let those angels go until he sees their mercy. And eventually they go on their way, but they could not even find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom, and the rest is history. So that's the first story that came to mind as I was thinking of this, this mother and her persistence. And the second story I thought of was Jacob. And there's an angel wrestling with Jacob all night. And again, some Bible scholars will say that is Jesus. It's another sermon. But he's wrestling all night with this angel, and it's getting near daylight, and, and it's stalemate. And the angel says, let me go, Jacob. And the Jacob says, what? I will not let you go until you bless me. And so the angel blesses him and gives him a little bit of a lip as well. But he blesses Jacob. And both of these stories resonate with the story of this woman who threw herself on the mercy of Jesus and would not let him go until he had blessed you. And this is how we approach God. You see, like the woman, we have no standing before Christ. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one without excuse. Jeremiah 19, 27 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And in the same way that that woman approached Jesus with nothing, we too approach Christ. On a good day, we could be considered mangy dogs, not worthy to be under the table. But because Christ died for us and was raised from the grave, we have been adopted into God's family as dearly loved children. And it's by this undeserved favour that we approach the living God. And because we can, it is good and it is right to humbly and respectfully say to the living God, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Ah, but we give up so easily, don't we? Mm. Someone in the church offends us. Something in the Bible ticks us off. We don't get the answer straight away that we want, so we have a wee sulk. So we have a lot to learn from this mother who humbly, respectfully would not take no for an answer. So this is one way that we can approach the living God. There's also another approach to the living God, and we see that in the next story. So we'll keep going. For Jesus now leaves Tyre and travels to another Gentile region. Do you think he'll get some rest this time? Verse 32. Then some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. Still no rest for Jesus and the disciples. But again, we see the compassion and the kindness of our Saviour. Verse 33. After he took the deaf man aside, took him away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, 
the path of that, be opened. Now what's happening here? Jesus seems to be fussing, doesn't he? Fingers and ears, he's spitting, touching a tongue, looking up to heaven. What's it all about? Well, some will say, well, it's just a technique. Uh, it's common for faith healers to have a sort of a routine, a technique, uh, a process which they go, and it's just Jesus following his normal technique. But that's the point. Jesus doesn't normally do this. With the demon-possessed daughter we've just looked at, Jesus wasn't in the same room, let alone fussing. Why is this different now? What is Jesus trying to say and do? Well, what we're seeing here, and this is amazing, what we're seeing is sign language. The guy's deaf. Jesus normally talks to the person before he heals them, but he can't. So he's signing to that person. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus would use sign language to this deaf person, to this person who's broken. So he meets this broken man where he is. Not just physically, but emotionally. Well, how emotionally? Well, I don't know if you have anything to do with um, deaf people, but certainly in those days, uh, they're deaf. They try and say words, but it comes out as la 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 la. You know, it just comes out stumbling words. And so whenever they try and communicate, it's arms waving in these grunts. And it's very public, and it's very embarrassing, and this man would have been ridiculed at various times, if not often, for the way that he communicated. He's tired of being a spectacle whenever he tried to make himself heard. And so Jesus quietly takes him aside to remove that public embarrassment. Can we serve a wonderful saviour who meets us in our brokenness? Whatever your brokenness is today, Jesus understands and will meet you there as you are. And that may be very different from the brokenness to the person next to you. In the same way that Jesus met that woman with the demon's possessed daughter in one way, he meets this very broken man in another way. And one last insight before I sum up. Notice in the story that Jesus looked to heaven and sighed, verse 34. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh. Why would he do that? He's just about to change this man's life. Soon, the whole crowd will be singing his praises. Surely Jesus would have had a quiet confidence, maybe a little wry smile, a twinkle in his eye. Why does he look up to heaven and sigh so deeply? Well, here we see foreshadowed the cross, where Jesus took on our brokenness and sin, and then with his last breath, which was not just a big sigh, but was with a cry, Jesus called out, It is finished. And those of us who know the story know there was an earthquake. And the curtain barrier in the temple was torn in two. And the Roman soldier explained, surely this was the Son of God. Yes, this healing of the man with that deep sigh points to Christ's death on the cross, where he took on our brokenness and our sin. Zion 53 verse 5. Talking about Jesus a few hundred years before he came, but speaking the truth. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace was upon us. By his wounds we are healed. 
that deep sigh in front of the, the man that was deaf and mute pointed to that cry. It is finished on the cross where Jesus took our brokenness on himself. So, how do you approach God? What do we learn this morning? What are our take-homes? Just the two. First, we approach the living God humbly, respectfully. But we approach it like that mother who was in desperate need, and we say, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's one way we approach the living God. The other way is we come knowing that we are broken. Look, no matter what front that we put onto other people, we are all broken, even the preacher. I can testify that God has been working with my brokenness for many years. And I've come a long way by his grace, and I've still got a long way to go. But even today, in this morning's quiet time, Jesus met me in my brokenness. To heal and restore. To love, accept and forgive. So no matter where your brokenness is today, Christ knows he will meet you and he will start that process that leads to wholeness and healing. That's the second way we come into his presence. Let's pray.